Welcome to Unboxed. I'm your host, Connie Nam, the founder of Astrid and Mew. In these conversations, I speak to the founders of some of the most innovative, bold, and exciting businesses to discover the person behind the brand and what it took for them to build their empires. My guest today is founder and CEO of Saint and Sophia, Desi Bell. Desi runs Saint and Sophia with her husband, and they launched in January 2020. After having grown up in Bulgaria, Desi witnessed the fall of socialism, which taught her many lessons about independence and resilience, two things that have been incremental in helping her to forge her successful career as a serial entrepreneur. This episode is sponsored by Payhawk. Growing a business from a startup to a scale-up comes with many challenges. One way to solve this is to introduce effective systems at the right time. Payhawk, a corporate card and expenses management solution for scale-ups, have literally transformed many lives at Astrid and Mew since implementing earlier this year. To simplify, Payhawk combines company cards, reimbursable expenses, accounts payable, and seamless accounting software integrations into a single product that can be used globally. In this episode, Desi and I discuss international expansion and how we need to adapt to the local markets. While doing this, empowering your teams to make decisions on the ground is crucial. This is where Payhawk comes in. With Payhawk, expenses can be logged and approved via the app, enabling teams to control spends while traveling across the globe. Hi, Desi. Hey, Connie. Welcome to my studio. Welcome to my podcast. So glad to be here. Yeah, so nice to have you here. So to start by telling me about yourself or telling our audience about yourself as a person. So I'm uh, Jesse Bell. I am uh, half Bulgarian, half Ukrainian. I was born in Bulgaria. Um, as a child, I always wanted to be in fashion. So I was always drawing. Uh, I grew up in Bulgaria during the 80s and the 90s when it wasn't really the time of plenty. So my mom and my grandmother were always making their own things at home. My mom used to buy these amazing mag- magazines called Borda, where you'd have like the latest fashions and you could make it at home. And that really kind of sparked, I guess, an interest for me uh, in, in, in fashion. I have two kids. Um, I'm very happily married to my husband, Malcolm, with whom I run the business uh, with. Um, I moved to the UK when I was 14. Um, my dad is a university professor, so we moved here um, because of work. Um, and... You know, my love for fashion sort of took a backseat during my teenage years and my other love for numbers took over. So I went to university, I studied economics, I went into the city, um, but then I've kind of come full circle really um, and in 2020 launched Saint Sophia. That's amazing. We have such similar backgrounds, don't we? Because I worked in finance, investment banking. Yeah. You worked at JP Morgan. Yeah, I, worked at I did. Yeah. 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 And then we came into fashion. And um, I mean, you went through some really interesting times in Eastern Europe, didn't you? Like Bulgaria, like the regime, whole regime change. How did that impact you? you I think it's uh, in the most positive way. I think, you know, both me and my sister became very resilient and very independent. So I think we grew up with, uh, you know, our parents, of course, worked full time. We, uh, you know, we were given a lot of freedom as kids. So as long as we did well in school, we were sort of, you know, free to to do uh, and explore our own interests. And I think that independence and resilience in many ways you know, sparked a love for doing things in your own way. Um, and I think also resourcefulness, because obviously going through the fall of socialism and in, in sort of the early 90s, you know, you had to be very resourceful with how, you know, and, and you went through, we went through, you know, times of having things and not having things. Um, and I think that ability to cope with 
change and chaos to some extent is something that in many ways sets you up quite well for entrepreneurship. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I have certainly found it to be very, very useful. Yeah. And I'd imagine like moving to a different country, to a different education system during your teenage years, because that's what I did as well growing mm-hmm. up. I went back and forth between Korea and the US. Um, okay. That probably set you up well as an entrepreneur. Can you tell me more? I mean, I'd like to think so. Yes, of course, you have to adapt, right? So when we came to uh, move to the UK... I uh, spoke some English, but of course I had to learn. But again, I think it was that theme of being resilient and wanting to do well and, you know, having to put the work in and figuring out, you know, how do you do better and, you know, how would you like to build your life? And I I always found London to be so exciting, you know, when we first arrived. I just loved the city and how big it was and how many, you know, there was the culture and the art and things that, you know, I wasn't really exposed to before. So I think, you know, the fact that moving to another country, learning another language just makes you a lot more adaptable um, uh, and more resilient. And I think certainly in my case, that's been very, very helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And was being an entrepreneur always um, in your on your mind? I always saw myself, I think, you know, again, going to the theme of being fairly independent as a child, um, I never really saw myself in a big corporate environment. Of course, you know, we were both in the city and that was amazing training. And I think it's really been helpful for for what we've ended up doing later on. But I always imagined myself, you know, running a business and growing a business. And I really enjoyed the experience of building something from scratch, finding, um, you know, a product or a service that I think people would love and serving customers well. And I really get a buzz out of that. Yeah. So you're a serial entrepreneur. You started a company called Zagora mm-hmm. many years ago and yep. then you've um, changed, switched into Saint and Sophia. Can yep. you tell me about that journey? What sparked you to move from investment banking, um, quit that job, like resist the inertia and start Zagora and then like start Saint and Sophia? We uh, started Zagora back in 2011. Again, I uh, started the business with my husband, Malcolm, who's now been my business partner for better part of 12 years. And we uh, wanted, you know, I, again, I just had this idea for a, a pair, you know, a product that can help you work out better. Uh, and we were very lucky because it was very much right place, right time. We found an amazing, uh, you know, uh, manufacturer that we work with. We designed this fantastic product and we sold a hundred thousand pairs of our flagship product in the first 10 weeks. So it was kind of wow. very quickly. We were like, How okay, did that happen? so I think we were just, Malcolm was amazing at marketing. <laughs> and so, uh, but I think it was very much the right place, right time, right? Fitness was very much in the zeitgeist. Mm. Uh, you know, Lululemon was everywhere. People were yeah. looking for ways of working out. Like everybody was onto the health craze. And so I think we were very lucky. Um, I think ultimately we sold over 2 million pairs of our flagship product, Hot Pants. And what we thought was, you know, in everything, I think the, the same characteristics could be a strength and a weakness. In our case, we had a product that was, uh, you know, effective. It worked. It lasted a long time. And so we found that customers perhaps weren't coming back um, Mm. as often as we wanted. After we had children, we really started thinking about what kind of business would we like to run. You know, we wanted to create a business that was really a force for good, something that we could be really proud of, uh, that could be, you know, beneficial to the factories we work with, bring joy to the customers that that, um, we have, you know, be a place where people love coming to work. Um, And we saw an opportunity in fashion where, the landscape was changing in the sense that people were becoming more aware of sustainability and where their products was coming from, were coming from, how they were made, were people being paid fairly. But at the same time, the offering at that time was very utility in that space. And we wanted to bring the European 
beautiful design aesthetic, the joy that fashion can bring, you know, but at the same time employing the sustainability principles um, that we thought was so important and really creating a great, great place for work. So we started uh, Saint and Sophia in January 2020. It was, in retrospect, a great time and, you know, a yeah, scary right time COVID. to start, right? And so right before COVID. So in January, we went live. In March, everybody, you know, there was the first lockdown in the UK. Like our business was basically three months old at that point. Everybody rushed to buy fridges and freezers and everything else. And so we thought, my goodness, well, you know, what it was. But, you know, luckily there were so many people that moved shopping online and, um, we have a very uh, strong supplier base. We've got very close working relationship with the factories that we work with. Um, and so we were able to very quickly pivot into products that customers were looking for, which was, which were, you know, very much stay-at-home styles, uh, you know, comfortable and so on. Um, and so in many ways, I wouldn't say it was lucky because it was a horrible time, but I think businesses that were online, and I think you probably saw that yeah. with Astrid and me, people just became so much more comfortable yeah. shopping online and so that's how we we are where we are so we started three and a half years ago we've served over three hundred fifty thousand customers um now and you know we're, we're very proud of the business that we built yeah that's amazing because you've only been running for three and a half years but it just feels like you've been running it for 10 years the scale you're at you've been able to scale it very quickly the products are so solid right because initial phases a lot of brands like mm -hmm. make mistakes with products mm -hmm. do you think it's because you've taken a lot of learnings and partnerships from your previous businesses i think it, it's it's certainly i wouldn't say easier but Somewhat, somewhat easier second time around, yeah. right? You know what to look out for. In our case, our obviously we had to have completely different supply chain, but we were uh, by that point aware if we were to work with you know a manufacturing partner, what would they expect from us? Mm. How do we become a good partner? Yeah. How do we really form that partnership that enables them security of work and enables us flexibility, which is what we wanted. Uh, we've, we've always been very focused on, you know, customer always comes first. So from day one, we wanted to create a really high touch customer, uh, you know, client service. Um, we wanted to offer products that people wanted. And so our whole business is built around learning from customers, getting feedback, iterating um, and, and launching more products. You know, you always have to, of course, have a design point of view. So we've got a, a brilliant design team that will have a very contemporary eye. But for us, the focus is bringing products that, on the one hand, are current today and really bring joy, but at the same time are things that, uh, that can last. Um, and I think that maybe is, you know, me growing up in Eastern Europe, you wanted things that last, but quality was so important. You know, you wanted to be able to have things that you'd wear, you know, 10 years from now, whatever. And I really love that idea of, you know, that favorite pair of shoes that you've had for a long time and comes out on a special occasion and you have memories and so on. And so for us with Saint Sophia, it really is about products that you enjoy today, they last, they're made well, um, and, and you have the certainty that they're made in factories that, you know, are well treated. Yeah, I love that. What were the key learnings you learned from your previous businesses, right? Multiples of businesses that you carried on at Saint Sophia to make it so successful? We're still very early days. We're just starting out. But I think it's, for us, probably the biggest learning has been be focused on today, but also have an eye on where you want to be in 10 years from now. Because, of course, things you do today will impact your business in three months, in six months. You know, so this kind of being able to be very reactive, but at the same time, always thinking, okay, if I'm, you know, if I'm offering this product, if I'm serving my customers in this way, is this really where I expect my brand to be in 10 years? Is this where I would be proud of my brand to be? And really 
avoid cutting corners. I think really always maintaining a high standard, um, valuing your people. So we've been we're very proud that we've been awarded the um, employer investors in people gold um, and we've created a team that's uh, you know loves coming to work and I think that really shines through so really always thinking what's good for me today but at the same time having an eye on the future and and, and planning ahead yeah I completely agree and what were your early years like the first six six months what did you do during that time and what kind of we, processes or structures did you put in and what kind of people did you hire we had to be very reactive in the early days because of course at that point it was all about learning 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 it was about learning you know what kind of customers can we can we find what do they want to buy from us what kind of experience do they expect uh, what kind of price points do we need to operate in and so we were constantly in this like learn iterate learn iterate okay next product next product initially we were launching very much a product at a time because it was you know we wanted to have new things all the time, but we wanted to be focused on learning from one thing at a time. Now we've, of course, migrated to launching more collections. So we do a monthly edit every month, but always looking back, looking ahead, learning. I think in terms of team, we knew we had to have a very strong core team. And I'm quite proud to say that the team that was with us when we started is still with us today. And that core team, you know, whether that's our head of creative, head of design, you know, head of finance, uh, have really been people quite instrumental to the growth of the business. And I think we are very, um, we are not micromanagers. So we like to give responsibility. And I think that's something that you talk a lot about as well, you know, yeah. giving your team responsibility, uh, you know, letting them enjoy work, you know, letting them express what they want to achieve in, in yeah. work. I think that provides, and you know, because ultimately know, they're better than you, right? Well, exactly. They, they, know, they know more, they're more on the front line, so to speak. Um, and, and, you know, we always say we want to be constantly hiring smarter people, better people. Um, and we all learn from each other. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of team, you and your husband are a duo. Yeah, we are. Yep. Did, what, what came first, love or work? Love, always love, always love. Uh, we've always been very clear that, you know, love comes first. By now, we, you know, we've worked together for a long time. So um, we know how to manage love and work. And we are luckily opposite in every single way. Uh, you know, my husband is an extrovert. I'm an introvert. Uh, he's great at marketing. I'm good at numbers. You know, he's creative. I'm analytical. Uh, he loves telling jokes. I can never remember jokes. Uh, <laughs> so, so I think we're very lucky that we are so, so different that it sort of really works for us. Yeah. And yeah. were you, um, I guess, romantic partners first before you went into business? Oh, yes, yes. We've been, uh, we've been together for close to 20 years and, you know, married for... 15 years so wow. yes, yes so how do you make it work like can you give some practical tips to people who might be founding their businesses with their partners I think when we are in the office it's work and it's professional but when we're out of the office you know it's family and you know we make time for one another we've had date night scheduled for years uh it's so important for us just being able to have adult conversation and joke and laugh uh, we go away together, just the two of us, at least once a year. I think these are all things that, you know, like anything, you get out what you put in. So if you, for us, love is important, so we invest in it. Um, and so, yeah, just dividing responsibility has been very clear. Which mode are we on when we are, you know, in the office? It's work at home. It's uh, it's it's love. So Yeah, that's so important. Yes. Yeah. And you you were talking about the inspiration behind um, Saint and Sophia. I guess um, 
yeah, just tell me more about the inspiration behind and what the story is behind Saint and Sophia. And I know like your girl is called Sophia. Was the brand named after her? Uh, not quite, although she'd like to think so. Um, <laughs> but I think when we became parents and, you know, for me, children have been such a joy and a blessing in so many ways. I think they're completely un, uh, undervalued as a management tool. I think kids have taught me so much about... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, right? Patience. Patience. And, <laughs> and communication. You know, yes. Setting and, boundaries. Yes. And seeing things from the other person's point of view. And it's always about give and take. And I, you know, if I'd gone back, would I have kids sooner? Maybe if I'd known the benefits. Um, but I think, you know, more directly for us, it was also thinking about what kind of business do we want to run, you know, and do we, you know, how would we want our children to see us, you know, when they when they grow up and what kind of impact are we having on the world that we're leave, leaving for our children? And so that's why Saint and Sophia, the idea was born where you can combine this idea of responsibility, being a force for good, you know, your employees loving coming to work, you know, your suppliers loving working with you, um, but at the same time, bringing joy of fashion, which is something that, you know, I've always loved. Um, and Malcolm is just loves the creative aspect of the business. You know, uh, you know, he works with our creative team for the, you know, everything that you see on the website is sort of, you know, designed and, and, and built in-house. Um, and so that really was it. We wanted to create a brand that was delivering the European aesthetic, but done so responsibly. And really, if we think about our business in 10 years, will the desire for our brand be bigger than where it was when we started? That's sort of what we're working towards. Yeah. And do they understand what you do? Do you take oh, them to yes. your factories and your yeah. warehouse? Yeah, we take them to the factories. They come to pack orders in the warehouse. Uh, uh, you know, they've been on trips with us. They ask questions. So I think it's a, uh, you know, we're lucky also to know other entrepreneurs like you. So we're starting to kind of ask people, you know, could we take our children to come and see your factory or come and see your business? I think they really enjoy learning about uh, yeah, how, you know, how things are made and where things come from. And it helps them to understand the world. Yeah. Do they want to be entrepreneurs? I don't know. Yeah, I think it's too early. <laughs> I think it's, uh, they're really into sport right now. I hope, I hope they would. I think it's a very rewarding journey. And I think certainly if your family comes from that background, I think it becomes a lot less daunting. Yeah, exactly. Um, because certainly in my case, my family is, you know, academic and very much in kind of, so mm. for me, it was somewhat most scary, shall we say, when I first embarked on the entrepreneurial journey. I think I was lucky that Malcolm has always been an entrepreneur and he comes from a very entrepreneurial family. So he was very kind of encouraging and, um, and so they, I was lucky in that respect. So I hope, I hope. Uh, yeah, that's I really interesting. I mean, for me as well, entrepreneurship never occurred to me because my yeah. dad worked for the government. Yeah. And he was a diplomat. And I thought that's sort of like the structured way was yeah. how I was going to go about my life. Right. Yeah. So then what, but then you decided to go and start up your yeah, own. Yeah, yeah. So I did a business degree, mm -hmm. undergrad and mm -hmm. master's. And mm -hmm. I kind of wanted to start my own business. I didn't feel like it would be that difficult mm -hmm. like business a lot of it is common sense <laughs> yes, right and it is, yeah. uh, like I think I pride myself in common sense yeah more than like analytics or yeah. like academics so um I kind of jumped into it but it never occurred to me as a child mm. when people ask what do you want to do when you grow up it was never like entrepreneur right well but here you are yeah. and so successful oh thank you <laughs> 
But then when I see my children, my second one, yeah. she, um, we were making jewelry together when we were oh, holiday, lovely. and she's like, I'm working on my jewelry business. Oh, that's and I was lovely. like, oh my God, that's like, <laughs> that's so sweet. I love that. <laughs> well, I'm sure she'll be very good at finding customers, right? I mean, children are so into jewelry and everything yeah, else these yeah, days. So yeah. yeah. And they really want to set up a lemonade stand now. Well, that's a classic. Start, yeah, start making money. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> yeah, so it's been, uh, I think children are really, uh, as I said, quite an undervalued management tool in my opinion. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What was the biggest mistake you and Malcolm made along the way? I don't like to think of mistakes because I think it's so negative. I think everything is about learning. Yes, learning. Learning. Exactly. Biggest learning. I think through the years, the biggest running, if I can say, because it's never just one, right? It's it's when you don't listen to your gut. I think your gut is so good at telling you what's right. And your intuition sometimes tells you, you know, this person is wrong to hire or, you know, that product really, we shouldn't do it. And, and yet you say, oh no, you know, but everything else is so, I think for me, it really, whenever I've thought, okay, really, I should have done better. It's been, oh, I knew I should have just followed my gut and just listened. So I, if I had to say anything to my younger self, it really will be just listening to my gut more and I think intuition is just such a powerful thing. Yeah. 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 What if the gut is wrong? (laughs) Well, then at least, you know, at least you give it a, give it a try, right? Yeah, yeah. And you, you can't, learn from you can't, it. Yeah, you can't regret <laughs> trying things out, right? Yeah. You've learned something from it. Yeah, um, and you learn to hone hone your gut. Feeling. Exactly, exactly. Although I have to say, I'd, I'd say it's more often the case that I don't listen to my gut and it's wrong than the other way around. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah same here, yeah. actually. So I think, I mean, I've, I've heard many entrepreneurs talk about the, the mm. importance of listening to intuition and that tends to be quite a running uh, running topic. Yeah. And um, what's on your mind right now? Just making Sophia, Saint Sophia, even greater and bigger. We are looking at opening our first retail stores. Oh, that's exciting! Yeah, so uh, I can know you tell you, us where? Well, we are still looking at areas. It will be in London. Um, it's just figuring out the right time and the right space, and we want to make it. I think I've heard you often talk about how you know, and you also I love your stores, and they're so interactive, and you know, I think it's brilliant because it really gives people a reason to come. And so for us, it's really coming up with a format that is interactive and it's fun and there's a reason for people to come because it's so easy to shop online and we provide a great service. And yeah. really when thinking about it. So, yeah, so first one would be London, uh, potentially another two, three in London and then looking at stateside. Um, That's exciting. Yes. Wh- which states? Uh, it'll be probably New York to start with. Yeah, we'll be neighbors. Yes, and you have, uh, of course, a store in New York. So yes, it's uh, that's that's going to be the next big project for us. We opened a warehouse last year, which was a, a a big project, and that was quite scary because we'd never run logistics before. We've, of course, run e-commerce businesses for quite a few years, but it was always outsourced. Mm. Um, and yet we knew we knew that to be able to really deliver the service that we wanted to deliver to the customers, be able to serve them fast, efficient, be, you know, deliver beautiful product to them, we had to have our own fulfillment space. So we found a warehouse, we hired a manager. We've been so lucky. Our uh, our warehouse manager is fantastic, and we've had a great team there. Um, and so that's been a great experience in terms of thinking, okay, well, we don't know so many things, but if you break it down uh, into small steps, then everything is doable. And I think that's definitely something that I've learned over the years with business. You know, nothing isn't doable. Everything just needs to be broken down into small steps. And we always talk to our kids about th- that in sport, right? It's not about winning the game. It's about the next pass. It's about the next point. And, um, and I've certainly found that in, in my experience, it's always about, you know, 
the next challenge and the next challenge. And then over time, they accumulate yeah. to, to really great things. So, yes. So, store is the next one. So, I'm breaking down the next challenge in the store. Um, but that's quite exciting for us. Yeah, I love that. And speaking of U.S., like from the get-go, your business was international, right? Yes. Your split is pretty equal between the U.S. and the U.K. What was the thought process behind it and how did you do that? Well, we the U.S. is by now actually bigger for us than the U.K. Um, we just love, I think with our previous business, Agora, most of our business was in the States. Uh, we love America, we love traveling to America, but I think the, we were always aware that the market there was so much bigger, of course, and the American customer is just fantastic. She loves discovering new things. She's just, you know, very kind of open to new ideas. And I think our product translated really well on both sides of the Atlantic. And so we we always knew we wanted to be international. I think also from a, you know, business risk management point of view, I think operating in multiple just, you know, countries is wise if you can do it. Of course, we're seeing that now. Uh, in the UK, we have obviously a, quite a challenging economic environment, whereas the US consumer is in great shape. Um, and so we're seeing that benefit uh, through the diversification in our business. Yeah, and obviously US is a huge market. It's yeah. 10 times bigger yeah. than the UK yeah. and yeah. economics are really good. Spending yeah. power is good, but I feel like a lot of UK brands are trying to get in, but they're having a very difficult time. Why, why do you think that is? What kind of tips do you think you can give to these businesses? I think the US customer is very US focused and very US centric. So if you go to America, you have to be prepared to serve the customer in the way that they want to be served. So your uh, store needs to be Americanized. Your products need to be geared towards the American market. Like our offering to the US we know that our U.S. customer buys different things to what our U.K. customer buys. And so by now we are designing different products for different oh, markets. that's interesting. So but you offer it to all markets? We offer it, yes, but we know that certain things will simply do oh. better in the States uh, than for, they would. For example? For example, our uh, U.S. customer loves tailoring and power suits and, you know, brighter colored accessories. And our U.K. customer loves our printed dresses. And so... I think you just have to be very respectful towards the customs and not just customs, but taste in our case, tastes yeah. of the local market and be willing to serve the customer in the most local way possible. Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah. yeah. And do you have people out there in the U.S. or are you seeing this through data? We're seeing this through data. We're putting boots on the ground in the U.S. in the next 12 months. So we'll be looking to open a local warehouse. Um, at the moment, we're serving we're serving customers from the U.K. Mm, that's yeah, very yeah, interesting. Yeah. And what's one advice you'd give an early stage founder at this point? With all of the wisdom you have from multiples of businesses you've set up. I'd say trust your gut and really, you know, follow the customer. Just I think it's one mistake that I see early stage founders potentially make is not being focused enough on customers. You know, it doesn't matter if you love the idea, if the customer is not biting it, then you have to pivot and you have to go, uh, you have to go and find another, you know, another solution. I think being flexible is just so, so important uh, in business. So that would be the one thing that I've, I've taken away. Yeah, love that. Trust your gut and follow the customer. Yes. That's very useful and inspiring. Thank you so much. Desi. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to follow the podcast wherever you're listening or watching. You can follow me at Connie Nam. Astrid and Mew at Astrid and Mew and Unboxed Instagram page at Unboxed underscore Founder Confidential. 
see you next week. 